Uh, we're continuing our Colossians series. And last week we had Dan share about Colossians 2. And um, really the foundation of Colossians 2 is about being rooted in Christ and um, not rooted in wrong philosophies. And um, we, we, we talked about the worship of angels, elemental spiritual forces. And there are a lot of things that's creeping into the church of recent times. Obviously, we have access uh, to so much on the internet. And so it can be so easily be deceived um, if we're not careful or not filtered. I was thinking about being planted and Rach and I over a time have accumulated a lot of succulent plants in our house. Um, never bought any. All of these have been given as a gift. And I can't remember who. I don't know if Nicole. I know Nicole loves um, having succulents and plants in their house, house plants. Anyways, some of these plants have died, unfortunately. Um, unfortunately, our house doesn't have a lot of sunlight. And I didn't realize, but one of our plants, it's still going. It's going all right. Um, but it's starting to lean to one side. And often that's an indication that it's not getting enough sun. Um, so it's actually leaning to where the sun is. And plants, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. I know you're a landscaper, but they need six hours a day, I think, um, of sunlight. Not direct sunlight, but enough sunlight that's coming through. So how do we know as Christians that we are planted in the right place? How do we know that we are planted uh, where we are getting enough sun. Um, and often it's the health of the plant that tells you, and often it's the health of a Christian. And that's what Paul does here. So um, from Colossians 2, he talks about being planted in. And now in Colossians 3, he's talking about what that looks like, what it looks like to be planted in Christ. What is the outworking? What is the fruit? What does it look like? Um, so if you're going to come with me, let's turn to Colossians 3. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 17. And we'll probably stop as we go through. So we're not going to read it straight through. Um, we'll stop as we go. So verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Don't you love that? You know, and I, what I love about this and what, um, if you wanted a title for my message, is that we need to set our hearts and minds on things above. We need to set our hearts and minds on things above. And the way I view it, uh, we as people in this world, uh, and what he's talking about, we are either selfish, selfish or selfless. We are either selfish or selfless. And I think people that focus on earthly things often comes out of a selfish reason. Selfish equals uh, looking with your flesh, trying to satisfy your flesh, whereas selfless Thinking less of yourself is about thinking of God more, thinking how I can set my eyes in Him and how I can please Him and walk with Him. And, and through that is also loving people because God loves people. And so that's selfless. And so here, 
by setting our eyes on things above, it makes us more selfless. It makes us humble. It, it brings us and we are focusing our eyes on God and, and walking with Him. Um, unfortunately, we still have our flesh and our flesh often wants to satisfy the flesh. It's looking to, and that's how I think we often get selfish. Well, let's continue reading. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. He says sexual morality. Uh, the Greek word for sexual morality is pornea. That's where we get the word pornography from. Uh, but it means sexual activity outside of what it's made for. So sex was made for marriage, so anything out of uh, marriage. So that's what sexual morality is. Impurity, lust. Lust is a, a, a desire for earthly things. Um, and you go after, you're lusting after it. Um, and it can, that can be a range of things. Evil desires, greed. So we see greed with money, um, which is idolatry. Because of these... The wrath of God is coming. What does he mean by the wrath of God? Uh, the Greek word here is punishment and anger. So he's actually talking about uh, at the end, like those, he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, those uh, that live this way, that satisfy the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's saying those that do these things, indulge in their flesh, sexual morality, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's continue reading. Verse 7, he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, something I just found curious um, is that he's talked about one thing, these things are the wrath of God, and now he's saying also as Christians, we also need to get rid of these things as well. And to understand that when we, at times, we, we're, we're, we're lying if we don't believe it, but at times we have anger as Christians. Sometimes we have slandered. I've, I've slandered once before and I was um, filthy language. But these are the things that not, you know, is not going to affect our eternity. But if we, you know, live in those things and we become. But what Paul is saying here, I, I think he's actually saying that Christians are still going to deal with these things as they walk. Um, and what I love about C.S. Lewis, um, you know, I'm sure as many of you have lied as Christians, um, do not lie to each other. We, but why is he saying this? Why is he saying it's important to get rid of these things? Even though it's not a salvation issue, why should we get rid of those things? Um, and I think it's because that we are representing Christ. We are representing Christ to others. And C.S. Lewis says, If conversion to Christianity makes no improvement in a man's outward actions, I think we must suspect that this conversion was largely imaginary. Um, so this is kind of referring to the first thing that uh, people that, if they're not putting to death their earthly uh, nature, sexual morality and so things, 
you know, and you say with your head, oh, I'm a follower of Christ, but your actions aren't showing it. Well, Sears Lewis would say, You're, this is imaginary to you. You actually don't truly believe it. But then he continues. He says, fine feelings, new insights, greater interest in religion mean nothing unless they make our actual behavior better. Just as an illness feeling better is not much good if the thermometer shows that your temperature is still going up. Christ told us to judge by results. So again, like the succulent plant, the reason I know that it's not going well is because of how it looks and the health towards it. And so I need to move that plant in a place where it's going to get its sunlight. And that is the same for us as Christians. You know, if we don't, if we just get stuck in our way, it doesn't matter how good you feel about a preacher or the preacher says, but if we don't put the things of Christ into action, we're like that plant that's just going to wilt. It's going to slowly die. Now, does that mean uh, that we are going to be perfect? Again, that's what Paul is talking about here, that we still have things that we're walking through and dealing with. And uh, I remember someone saying this, you know, as Christians, sometimes we are going to stumble towards God. And that's okay. We are going to stumble. But it's wrong when we start to walk away from God. When we start to do things that separate us from God. And so God is a forgiving God. And so, um, you know, there are going to be times where we just, we lie when we shouldn't have. Or we have anger. But our heart is to continue to be more like Christ. So hopefully in the journey, as we walk with Him, it should get easier. And again, C.S. Lewis talks about this. Because we remember, when we come to Christ, yes, we are made right. But does that mean we're 100% right and perfect? No. We still have our flesh. Only Jesus was perfect, but he makes us right through him because he's perfect. So we are made right, but we are continuing to be made right. We are continuing to be sanctified and we will be made right when we reach heaven. Because that's where there is no sin, when we're with God. And that's where we will be made right, 100%, perfect with Christ and God. Anyways, this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, The world does not consist of 100% Christians and 100% non-Christians. Now, don't mishear. I think sometimes we read that. What does he mean? He's, again, talking about there is no such thing as a Christian that is perfect, 100% perfect like Christ. But we also need to understand there are people in this world that aren't Christians. They're not 100% evil. And what I mean is, and we're having this discussion actually uh, yesterday, we're actually talking about Hitler and uh, Pablo Escobar. And I don't know if you know the story of Pablo Escobar. Uh, It's a crazy story. He was one of the richest drug lords in the world and he lived in Colombia. And often people think, oh, these evil, evil people, you know, how could people follow them? Well, actually, you know what made people follow them? It was because of the good they did. Hitler led Germany out of depression. He actually restored the economy. He did some amazing, amazing things. If he didn't keep going, he would have been one of the, one of the best leaders of Germany in, in history. Unfortunately, he just went a bit too far and was a very evil man. But it's not often, and, and this is you've got to understand, that 
Adam and Eve weren't deceived by the evil side of the tree. They were deceived by the good side of the tree. That's what Genesis tells us. And so there is goodness. There are good things that come from us because we are made in the image of God. There is goodness around us. And so, but that doesn't mean that someone's not a Christian and someone is just because they're better and good. Um, and this, again, what C.S. Lewis is talking about and what I love about this and um, in the advertisements of, uh, this is what C.S. Lewis says, he's talking about an advertisement uh, for toothpaste. And on that toothpaste, it's kind of like, if you use this toothpaste, your teeth will be whiter. Um, and he says this, if the advertisements of White Smiles toothpaste are true, it ought to follow that anyone who uses it will have better teeth than the same person would have if he did not use it. And then he continues, he says, But to point out that I, who use White Smiles toothpaste, and also have inherited bad teeth from both my parents, have not got as fine as a set of some healthy young boy who never used toothpaste at all, does not by itself prove that the advertisements are untrue. And so what he's saying here. Because there is this idea in um, the world that, oh, you're not a Christian because I've got a friend uh, that, you know, man, he's so much more generous than you. He's so much more loving and he's not a Christian. And can I tell you, there are people I know. I've got a mate who's not a Christian and can I tell you, he's more generous than I am. But that doesn't mean that he's saved. Remember, it's our sin, the things of our sin. That's what we all fall short. That's what Romans tells us. We all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus says no one is good, not one. So let's, let's you know, this is an interesting one because I think this is where the world's wrestling. The, the issue, the kid, what um, C.S. Lewis is saying here, it's all about the starting point. And from the starting point is that person grown into the goodness of God? Have, have we seen an improvement in that journey? Because some people have grown up in families or been orphans that didn't have the luxury of, of a good mother and father. You know, I, I was talking to my friend and he just was talking about the guys that he's, he works in the jail. And he said about three or four generations of their fathers had been in jail. Now, his journey towards Christ is going to be a lot different to someone that's grown up in a home of a mum and dad that has cared and loved and showed them how to be generous. And they're not Christians I'm talking about here. Do we say that that person who may be still swearing is not a Christian compared to this person? Remember, we can't. It's got to be a change. So there's still got to be change. There's got to be a shift. There's got to be something that's growing more like Christ. And this is what C.S. Lewis continues to say. He says, Christian Miss Bates may have an unkinder tongue than an unbelieving Dick Firkin. I love how he uses these names, Dick Firkin. That by itself does not tell us whether Christianity works. The question is, is what Miss Bates' tongue would be like if she were not a Christian and what Dick's would be like if he became one. So we all, we all have evil inside of us. We all have sin. And sin is what separates us from God because God is perfect. 
He is holy. And we cannot enter the kingdom of God without Christ, without someone dying on the cross for our sins. Doesn't matter if it's a big sin, little sin, all our sin. We cannot enter the kingdom of God without Christ dying on the cross. He takes away our sin, but we need to put our faith and hope and trust in Him. We need to die to our flesh so that we may have life with Christ. Now, that's, we just talked about placing the plan in the right place. Paul is talking here that we need to continue to plan that place in Christ. And what does that look like now? How do we know a plan is healthy? Well, this is what Paul says. This is what the action of a Christian does. This is what he's saying a healthy plant will be if it's in the sun. He says, verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Sometimes I just feel like dropping the mic and walking away. I don't need to preach anymore. Paul's hit it pretty hard. But that is a healthy plant. That is a healthy Christian. Now, I did grab six things out of this, six points that I think really stood out to me. And again, we're talking about a person that sets their eyes on things above. They set their mind on things above. And these people that set their, thing, their eyes on things above, this is what they do. Number one, they imitate Christ's compassion and forgiving attitude. They imitate Christ's compassion and forgiving attitude. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, Christians, this is you, church, God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion. Compassion. What, what do you think gets in the road of compassion? Selfishness. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> Selfishness. Our selfishness gets in the road of compassion. It gets in the road of kindness, humility, gentleness. You know, because we become so focused on fulfilling our, you know, satisfying our flesh, you know, getting to the next place that we forget to bring compassion to the persons in front of us, the people that are, are sitting uh, on the street because we're so focused on ourselves. But what we see with Christ is he had this compassion for those around him. The crowd, it says he had compassion for them. 
man, that's, that's what I want. And you know what? We'll never have that amazing compassion without the Holy Spirit. We will never. That compassion is an overflow of our hearts. Kindness is an overflow of our hearts. Humility is an overflow. It's when we set our eyes on things above. The other thing is, so imitate Christ's compassion and a forgiving attitude. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. You know, I love what Lisa Tyker said. She says, we need to start the morning ready to forgive. Ready to forgive. Why did she say that? Because I can tell you right now, in this world, people are going to say things that hurt you. It's either going to be the people in your workplace. It's going to be your friends. It's going to be sometimes Christians. It can be your husband and wife. But we need to have a forgiving attitude. We need to be ready to forgive. Why? Because Jesus, he was the ultimate for forgiveness. Think of the insults. Think of the things that they did to him. They put him on the cross. And what does he say? God, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Man, that is an amazing act of forgiveness. And I want to encourage you that we as Christians and fellow believers, we need to have a heart ready to forgive those. We should not be holding on to those things when they hurt us because, you know what, again, it's the flesh that gets affected. <laughs> but if we live by the Spirit, we don't hold on to those things. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Man, that's why we forgive. Think of the things that we have done and God forgives us. The things that we've said to him, the things that were done to him, yet he forgives us and so we should forgive others. Number two, let your love, let love be your God. Let love be your God. And so he continues, he says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Wow. Love. Let love be our God. I want to ask, do you have an overwhelming love for the people around you? Again, the selfish person doesn't, but the selfless sees people through God's eyes. They have an overwhelming love for the people around them. They get down to their level. Selfish thinks they're above people. Selfless come under and serve and come down to them and where they're at. And so we need to let love. When we, when we are bringing compassion and kindness, it comes from love. And it comes from the love of the Father. You know, the word when it says love drives out all fear... Do you know what that love comes from? It's not a head knowledge love. That love is the love we have for God. When we have this relationship with God, that love will drive out all fear because you understand the relationship you have with your Father. Number three, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. You've probably heard this many times. 
Uh, and it says, verse 15, sorry, before we get let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. You probably heard this, peace transcends understanding. What does that mean? What does that actually mean? What it means is when you don't understand, it just doesn't make sense in your mind, and especially around God and what He's doing, there's an overwhelming peace even though you don't understand. Have you ever been through those moments? You know, a loved one gets sick, you know, they die or something, but then there's this overwhelming peace you can't explain. There's just no understanding. That's the peace that needs to rule our hearts because there are going to be things in our life that we're going to walk through. It says that we will walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, but we need to understand that Christ gives us this overwhelming peace. And it doesn't make sense, but we don't need to try and make sense of it because God's just going to give us that peace. We, we can't fully understand everything God does. It's a mystery. And so we need to stop trying to figure it out and just let the peace rule in our hearts. And then he continues, since as members of one body, you are called to peace. What does that mean? He's talking about peace within the church, a body, the members being one. And so I want to ask this question, are you a peacemaker or a peacekeeper? You might be going, what's the difference? A peacekeeper is someone that just wants to keep the peace. You know, if someone's having an argument between the church members, you know, it's like, hey, guys, just, just, just stop it. You don't need to talk to each other. Don't worry. Just move on. Leave it alone, you know. Or someone says something hurtful to you and the peacekeeper goes, oh, that really hurt, but I'm not going to say anything because I just want to keep the peace. I want to keep the peace. The peacemaker goes and makes peace. Those two people that are arguing, they stop. Say, hey, you guys need to listen to each other. I'll help you. I'll walk with you. Do you know we need to forgive each other? We need to be able to love each other. And I understand that there are things that we're going to clash on. But the peacemaker is about making peace within the body of believers. And it's the same for you that someone says something hurtful. The peacemaker goes to that person and goes, hey, you know how you said this? It hurt. It really did. But you know what? I'm not going to let that hurt me, but I just want to make sure that you aren't doing this to others. You're not hurting others by the words you say. And so that's the peacemaker. And so we let peace rule in our hearts and we let peace rule in the church community. Number four, the person that sets their eyes on things above are always thankful. They're always thankful. And it says, be thankful. And says, I love this. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You know, I think sometimes it's easy to sing here on a Sunday. What about throughout the week? Are we singing gratitude to God throughout our weeks? Do we have a heart of uh, gratefulness? And again, what stops us from being thankful and grateful? Selfishness. We start to see others have things that I don't have. We see that people are taking up our time. We get, we get angry and we start to whinge and this is not and I'm tired and I've got this and all of that. And it's all about our perspective. 
because we're in a perspective where we compare with those around us. But if we have a great perspective, a true perspective of the wider world, can I tell you, we should be very thankful. We should be very grateful. You know, I saw uh, on the news about what's going on in Sydney. You know, and some of us are like, oh, what idiots, Sydney. I can't believe that they're in COVID. Oh, what losers. Trust me, that's what people are saying on social media. It's ridiculous. It's not how we should be as Christians. What I see is I saw a father speak on news crying because he was telling them that I need to work to put food on the table for my family. You know what? Straight away I was like, God, I am so thankful that I could put food on the table for my family. I'm so grateful that I have a roof over my head. You know, if, if the only thing we ever get is eternity with Christ because he died on the cross, if that's the only thing we ever get from God, can I tell you, that's enough. That's enough. But you know what? God gives us more than that. He's given us so much. And so we need to have a heart of thankfulness a heart of gratitude. And when we have a heart of thankfulness, it actually takes our mind of the things that we don't have. Number five, we're getting there, two minutes ago. Those that have their eyes on things above, they listen and respond to God's Word. They listen and respond to God's Word. It says in verse 16, let the message of Christ Dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Do you know in some translations it says, let the word of God dwell among you. Let the word of God. When you think of word of God, what do you think you're, you're thinking? Often we think the Bible. Do you know the word here in the Greek is logos? And the Greek logos means a speech, speaking a saying, an expression of a thought. Now, there's another word for written word in the Bible, and that is uh, graphe. That's the written scripture. In the New Testament, when it says the word of God, it's actually not saying because they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the Bible at that time. And so what is that, what is that saying? I mean, what am I saying? I'm saying it's God speaking to us. Do you know where we get logic? The word is from logos. You know, sometimes you're just reading something, you're like, wow, that makes sense. Often that's because God's speaking to you already. You know, I remember I shared a gospel with someone and I thought I just messed it up. I was like, that did not make sense. You know what they responded? Man, that makes sense. That's logos because God is speaking to them. You know, when, when we read... Uh, the Word of God, if you've seen this passage, the Word of God is like a double-edged sword piercing hearts and soul. That Word of God there is logos, meaning the Holy Spirit speaking. Often we think it's quoting Scripture. And yes, half true, because sometimes the Spirit will say, quote Scripture. <laughs> but it's not the written Word that has the power. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through us. Have you ever wondered why someone could read one part of the same part of scripture as someone else, and one of them goes, Whoa, something's going on here, and the other person going, This just doesn't make sense. 
because it's God speaking to them, through them. Logos. We cannot, can I tell you, if you are here tonight, it's because of Logos, because God is speaking. We cannot come to Christ without Logos. We cannot have understanding. Jesus talks about it in John 5. He actually says to our religious leaders, you study the Scriptures diligently. And just before that, he says, but you don't know Logos, God's Word. You don't know the voice. You don't know God speaking. And so you're all about this instead of actually responding to what God's trying to say. So we need to respond to God's voice. We need to let Him dwell among us. The Holy Spirit is God. Let Him dwell in us. And so, and then He says, as you teach and admonish one another. Do you know the gift of teaching, where does it start? It starts with the Spirit. The Spirit. And you know what? I think often we think teaching is about teaching knowledge. Teaching the Bible, it's greater than that. Teaching is about teaching obedience. Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded. A great teacher and a gifted teacher uses the Holy Spirit and comes along alongside people and helps them and teaches them how to follow Christ. That's what a great teacher does. Number six... We do it for Christ. Those that have their eyes on things above do it for Christ. Everything they do is pointed towards Christ. And that's what it says, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Unfortunately, there are times the things that we do actually is giving Christ a bad name. Because you can understand everything we do. If you're, if you're saying you're a Christian, you need to understand everything you do is imitating Christ or trying to imitate Christ. And so people are watching. And if they see you doing things, they're going to think that's what Christ does. And so what I love about C.S. Lewis, he says, when we Christians behave badly or fail to behave well, we are making Christianity unbelievable to the outside world. Our careless lives set the outer world talking and we give them grounds for talking in a way that throws doubt on the truth of Christianity itself. You need to understand that if you're going to use that follower of Christ or you're a Christian... You're understanding that everything you do, you're doing it for Christ. And so people are watching. They're looking. And it's the same with our work. Everything we do, we do it for Christ. And the key here is I want to ask the question, those that are doing good things and doing amazing things, who's getting the glory? Is it you or is it God? Because often I think our flesh wants to point to ourselves. It wants us to get the glory. 
But here our scripture is saying that everything we do, we want to be pointing towards Christ. We want to show Christ to those in our workplace. We want to give him the glory. Wherever our family, our friends, we want to point towards Christ. Whatever we do, remember people are watching. And that hopefully is a great opportunity when people go, wow, man, I love your compassion. Wow, you have amazing kindness. Man, the love you have for people. You know what we do? We point them to God. We can't have that true compassion and love without God. So again, here's the six things. One, imitate Christ's compassion and forgiving attitude. Two, let love be your guide. Three, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Four, be always thankful. Five, listen and respond to God's word. And six, we do it for Christ. I want to ask you this question. Where have you been planted? Right now, are you kind of want a little bit of sun, but you also want a bit of darkness? Are you planted in the wrong spot that you're kind of leaning towards the light, but you're not fully there? It's time for us to move our plants and put them in the sun, Jesus. And so that we have a health that just shines. Man, can I tell you, I do love house plants when they look well and look good. They make your house look nice. And so I want to ask, there may be some in this room right now that you've never ever planted in Christ. You've never thought about that. And, and I, I want to encourage you, what, what do you, I need to do to do that? Well, going from this message, it says to put off earthly things. It's to turn away from the things of your flesh and put your faith and hope in Christ Jesus. And from that, when we put our faith and hope in Christ Jesus, when we give our heart to Him, He'll give us the Holy Spirit, which is God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are still God in one. I mean, that's a whole other message. But you need to understand they are one. And when we come to Christ, the Son, because He died on the cross for our sins, he promised to give us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it says in Scripture, that it will dwell in us. It will dwell in us and walk with us. It will help us on our journey. Even when we stumble, the Holy Spirit is always there. It will pick us up. You're going to remember, God is forgiving. The Holy Spirit is forgiving. We stuff up, but the Spirit will keep journeying with us. But we need to continue to listen Continue to act on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. I believe at Divergent Church, we need to be a spirit people. We need to be a church led by the Spirit. Because that is what's going to make us healthy.
That's what's going to make us shine. That's what's going to make us light and salt in this world. And I can tell you when you do that, people are going to come. People are looking. They're looking for hope. They're looking for things. And if we are just fitting in with them, well, what's the point of following Christ? But if they notice that there's something different about us, if they notice the love and compassion and forgiveness, I can tell you they're going to come because their hearts are hurting. They're looking to fill that void. And I believe only God can truly fill that void. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for those that are continuing to replace their plants in the sun. Father, and I, I just pray, Lord, that those that are just half and half, we're going we're gonna to start to just move in the wrong direction. But I just pray, Lord, that we are people of the Spirit. We're people of you because that's who you are, God. You are the Holy Spirit. I pray that we have this peace that transcends understanding. I pray that we have this compassion and kindness and humility. Father, I pray that we have a grateful heart, always thankful. I pray that we're responding to your word, the Logos, you speaking. And I pray, Father, that through our actions, Father, that we will give you glory. We will bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.